If you spent any time in Cincinnati, you probably know the hulking white building with a tower on top that rises just west of I-75. In a city of architectural gems, the fortress-like Crosley Building in Cincinnati's Camp Washington neighborhood stands out for its size and its neglect. What might not be apparent gazing at the building is how much history making took place there. This podcast is the story of how a now empty building helped change the world and how the fate of the neighborhood around it is tied up in its construction, its boom years, its decline, and efforts to resurrect it. This is Crosley at the Crossroads, how a Cincinnati landmark mirrors the fortunes of the city. I'm Nick Swartzell. A lot of things crept into the vacuum community and industry left behind in Camp Washington. While some jobs and residents remained in the neighborhood, and a stubborn sense of pride persisted there, its fortunes fell and many buildings went empty. The hulking Crosley Building was among them. But as it stood empty, it became a haven for adventurous and creative folks, including crews of graffiti artists. The neighborhood also became a haven for small, independent studio and gallery spaces as artists moved in to fill the void. Writer, curator, teacher, and director of exhibitions at Wavepool Gallery, Maria Cedar Reader, discusses the past and present of street art in the Crosley Building and Camp Washington. We're here in the Crosley Building with Maria Seder Reader, and uh, she's talking to us about the graffiti here in the Crosley Building and its significance. And we were up on the roof earlier talking about um, some of the history of Cincinnati graffiti and um, some of the things that people are drawn to about graffiti. And I wanted to talk a little bit more about that, the graffiti as a subculture, um, sort of who does graffiti, what that subculture is like, and uh, why people engage in it. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about that. There's probably the answers for why as many um, answers for that as there are people in the world, obviously. Um, but I think that if we look at the kind of consistent demographics, which is largely young skewing, uh, you know, 15 to 25, you know, overwhelmingly young men who are kind of at that risk taking, you know, courageous, maybe a little less conscientious and more reckless with their own lives and physical health. And so just as we might expect those kinds of folks to be, you know, under insurance, maybe they're more likely to wreck their cars or, you know, do these kind of risky, reckless activities, they would also be more inclined to doing graffiti. So, you know, there's oftentimes you might see in the highway an overpass that's been sprayed from behind. Um, you know, this would have involved someone scaling literally a pole that was never meant to be, you know, climbed up, uh, much less stood on top of and, and you know, done an entire art piece, regardless of your, you know, opinions of its aesthetic qualities on it. It's, it is the sheer daredevil kind of um, action behind that work that's also part of its experience you know so the so it is the a very process driven work therefore the site and its locale is part of the concept behind it and why places that are abandoned and potentially dangerous to your physical health are in in fact the kinds of sites that graffiti artists are looking to engage in i see are you saying this place might be 
dangerous to our physical health that we're sitting in right now. Yeah. I, Chances are good. I can't imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's literally debris everywhere. You know, there's I, I, even the even the mirror, even if you were in a pristine gallery, which I've you know seen graffiti artists spraying in a pristine gallery before. Um, you know, it's it's a physically toxic substance. So, you know, there are, there are obviously conscientious artists who are working with masks on and, you know, protecting themselves physically, but there's also an entire other kind of group of folks who are in fact enjoying that, um, you know, kind of toxicity that they're being exposed to. And so, you know, it really does run the gamut. I don't want to make huge, you know, um, generalizations about, artists and obviously they're more than just masculine writers in the world you know there's a lot of young um, women writers as well who often don't get um, seen or um, you know big upped by their comrades in in crews you know a lot of times if you're a part of a graffiti crew the the whole thing is that you're kind of throwing up your mentors and the people who you um, know around you so you might put up somebody else's name because that's how you're learning the letters for maybe the first couple years of your you know practice I mean that's not the only thing they're you're writing but you're you know working on that name as well and so women are often kind of pushed aside in that for reasons of them being less likely to be in these kinds of spaces or, you know, acting in those kind of impulsive, more daredevil kinds of behaviors that I think young men are not only doing in the world, but encouraged to do, you know, by social norms. Sure. Absolutely. Of toxic masculinity. I'll just throw that into it. (laughs) So speaking of toxic masculinity. And again, I don't want to paint with a broad brush here, but yeah. there is an element of sort of uh, competition and bravado yeah. in, yeah. in, uh, in this world. Right. And, and, yeah. um, as there is in, the, in, in our general society. Right. But, but how does that play out in, in graffiti and, and, uh, in, in trying to get up on the top of the Crosley building, for example? Yeah. Well, I mean, we could say that literally if you're looking at a wall that maybe has lots of different, um, you know, uh, graffiti aliases on that. Um, oftentimes you'll see people crossed out, you know, um, those are typically, that's a, you know, an aggressive crossing out that's, you know, nixing somebody else's work and going up higher than that, literally physically just above them is a way to kind of top them. Right. There's uh, just as much as any other kind of sport, if we could qualify it as such, there's these kinds of hierarchical, you know, uh, ways of being. So you have a, your own name, you have people that you've probably learned from, and their letters are most likely incorporated into a lot of the letters that you learn because that's how you're learning is like letter for letter. Um, you're always throwing up your crew name next to your own tag. There's a lot of talking that happens in these kinds of Um, there's, you know, it's like pithy quips and you can walk around this building and see them literally everywhere. I'm staring at one that says, he likes my diamonds and my pearls. And there's song lyrics, there's inside jokes, there's dirty words, there's phone numbers on one of the the photos over here. That's like, you know, call this person and tell them their refrigerator running. I mean, that's like a joke that's been happening for generations, right? There's some things that never get old. And then there's some things that are so insular 
in terms of language that maybe only three people get it. And that's the conversation that I think that is happening in these walls. It, it is a it is a democratic forum. I've said it before, whether it's, you know, the public streets to be seen by all or if it's, you know, this very derelict building that at one point was a locus of like so much communication. It, 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 it seems only right to have so much graffiti here, you know, to some extent that there is this, um, I don't know, like a, a ripple that's, it, you know, kind of comes out from here. And I, and I think that there's sacred places like that throughout the, the, you know, city and our landscape, especially I'm, you know, I'm more intimately connected with that, you know, with this particular landscape in Cincinnati, but there, there are loci for this kind of really important information. Um, and there's a reason why people are just gravitate to it, you know? I mean, it, yes, it's abandoned. And so that it's a, a site that people, multiple groups of people can come, kind of come to and escape into and, and find, you know, some sort of solace or playground or whatever you want to call it. But uh, ultimately they're communing with each other, they're communing with the external world because they're putting their message out into the public and to each other. And so to me, that's beautiful. You know, that doesn't have to have a commercial ending. It doesn't have to have a final product that gets put up on a wall or, you know, it can just be the experience of those people coming together and, you know, having this moment that was ephemeral, but we see the you know, tangible results of what they were doing on the wall. Yeah, yeah. I I really like some of the parallels you drew there in terms of communicating, right? Like this building was a site of mass communication, right? Yeah. And um, also like this building was built out of a kind of, not maybe hubris, but, but mm -hmm. uh, a, um, a want to be grand, a want mm -hmm. to be seen, be big, you yeah. know? And there's a lot in graffiti about that when you throw that that piece up on the top of the tower right oh yeah so there's some similarities there that that energy is the same but then there's also this market like i think and I, I think i hear this in what you're saying uh difference in that this building was a place of commerce it was a place to sell it was a place to uh make a lot of money yeah. and uh the art that, that you see in this on these walls this graffiti is absolutely not about that at yeah. all you know yeah, I mean, really, it's antithetical. I mean, it's it's people who've probably felt left out of the art story that they weren't kind of able to um, actualize as artists in whatever way they saw as it appropriate. And so this is where they're coming to to have that expression. You know, I think every city, the sign of a healthy um, you know, group of community members is literally graffiti on the walls. Like, I want to see young people participating. I want to see young people claiming some sort of voice, even if it's not, quote unquote, appropriate or, you know, legal. <laughs> so I want to use this moment, which you're like, I think you've provided really well to transition to talk about art in Camp Washington. Yeah. Uh, you, you do a lot of work with Wavepool. Yeah. Uh, which is um, the, I'd say, like the art institution in Camp Washington at oh, this point. We're not an institution. There's four of us. I know. I, <laughs> I, I use that word and then realize like, that's loosely. not the word you don't want to use. But, uh, but like so I, the I art wish we were that organized and uh, powerful. I think what Wavepool is, is just like 
you know, a family of, of a team of folks who are committed to making the world better through art. Um, and I don't, I'm, that's a huge lofty goal. So how do you redo that right. with four people, you right, know, right, right. but you, you invite as many people who, um, you know, seem philosophically on board to, to join in and to co-create that together. So, yeah, I mean, we, we're really interested at WavePole in not trying to get people into a gallery, but to trying to bring art into the world and to, you know, make it relevant for our community. So to us, you know, art is that kind of wiggly monster that allows you to talk about all kinds of things. It's not just painting on canvas. It's not just spray paint on a wall. It can literally be the two of us talking in this room. You know, that's, that's enough to be art. Um, that is relationship building. That is changing the world because fundamentally art is a thing that can reframe our lives and what's important and, and what we're doing. And so we do a lot of programming involved with helping to talk about food access. We do a lot of work with a group called Broken Into Beautiful, um, which is a women's empowerment group that are women overcoming trauma and addiction because we are, you know, part of we're so close to the highway intersections, about three different, um, you know, interchanges of highways that there is a huge drug and sex trafficking happening in our neighborhood. And so there are a lot of our neighbors literally outside of our doors who are suffering. And, you know, it would be completely stupid and, um, tone deaf to sit in a white cube and go, come on in and this art will save your life, right? Uh, ultimately, what we are trying to do is to do anything that um, they might find remotely worthwhile, um, you know, so to speak to their their own needs and interests. So sometimes that's just having the group like Broken Into Beautiful this past summer, we did um, Soup and Stories. And so we had free 100 plates lunch every Wednesday. And the women from Broken Into Beautiful got to sit down and talk about their stories. That's amazing. And, um, yeah. So yeah, what we do, I think for a lot of even our artist neighbors in town, I've been told by an artist who I did a studio visit that with that, you know, Wavepool doesn't do capital A art, but that we're doing good things. Nice. And so, you know, I think that that's all that matters. You know, um, we get to reinvent and co-create what art can be in 2022. I think there is a renaissance that will be happening because um, when people are held down in certain capacities, they will push back. Um, and that's what's, I hope, happening. And artists, to me, are always the first responders to any kind of public social injustice or crisis. And that's where we're at, I think. So talk to me about, Camp Washington is a place where there is a lot of creati creativity going on, both with Wavepool and, and outside of Wavepool. You know, there are other galleries, there's other people coming here doing art, working. What is it about this neighborhood that draws people here? And, and is there a parallel with like the, the draw to this building and, mm. and the, the, the graffiti in here? Well, I, you know, I've known it personally 
for so long, it was my bike thoroughfare. You know, I moved to uh, a neighborhood just north of Camp Washington in 2004, and I worked downtown. And so I would ride my bike, you know, routinely. This was this was the neighborhood that I rode my bike through. And then, you know, as I got older, I, this was the neighborhood that had a studio for my moped crew. And, you know, as I got older, this was the place that my friends were getting studios when they were, you know, artists. And, and then this is where, um, you know, Cal and Skip could afford to buy an old fire house that they were able to convert into a gallery. And um, I think there's a lot of things that seem happenstance in our lives, but are ultimately like the path that we've been set on and the course that we've like, even if we may have taken another step in a different direction, it's, it's, you know, fate will drag you to your future, whether you want willingly or not. And, um, it's full of blue collar, um, you know, people who, you know, maybe aren't the, you know, most polished humans in the world, uh, but they certainly will tell you what the hell they think about you. They're direct, they're honest. Um, they are, you know, overwhelmingly willing to participate. I mean, I think that says a lot because I think artists can be very, othering for folks you know we we tend to be eccentric weirdos that you know uh, the quote-unquote everyday person doesn't necessarily understand so maybe that's a double-edged sword it can give us the weirdo vibe that allows us to kind of open up a door for somebody who might otherwise not think that we were accessible um and or you know it, it it gives us an extra need to kind of or an urgency to reach out i think and to be more open to that kind of connection sure yeah it makes a lot of sense is there anything else that really strikes you about this series of topics we've been talking about is there anything that you want to add you know, ultimately, one of the things that I see, I always hear from people who come to Cincinnati is that we haven't, even though we have lost so many amazing, beautiful buildings like this, you know, that we have this rich, underappreciated architecture and, and um, kind of landscape that even us who've been here our whole lives don't really appreciate, you know, because we just take it for granted. And and I think that this project is the perfect kind of one to maybe re-remember re who we were and, and what, you know, America was hoping to be when this place was built. You know, I, th I think we bought into the mythology of America as this, you know, land of the free and home of the brave. And, and I think that, like, we're at this moment in our history that we can truly like reinvest or reconsider what that means to everybody who gets to be in on that right who who is that statement for um and so i don't know i think this is a perfect project for this time yeah one question i have maybe you can answer maybe you can't is there's going to be some possibly gallery space artist space in this building right what do you want to see from that? Oh, if there was art in here, God. I mean, it would be awesome if there was some sort of like a 
open air practice graffiti space. <laughs> I yeah, mean, I would love sick. to see that. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. would be amazing. That's a great idea. Um, yeah, there's not enough safe places for kids these days to, to try it out. I mean, that there ever really was, but you know, people are going to buildings like this and literally risking their lives. It's going to happen one way or another, you know, like, do we want to give him a safe place to do it? Or do we want to like keep that precarity in place? You know, um, I think that art should be from the people of this neighborhood. I think, you know, I want to see like all art, I think art should reflect the landscape of the world that is making it, you know? And so that is the people in this neighborhood. Yeah, there's lots of artists who are already here. There's lots of artists that are moving in. Let's keep like honoring space for the people who've always been here, who've still been here to own their own artistry, maybe. In the years since the Crosley building became vacant, many plans have come and gone for how to repurpose the building, heal the environmental scars caused by industry in the Mill Creek Valley, and lure more people back into the community. But cleaning up isn't always as straightforward as it might sound. We'll talk about that in the next episodes. This podcast is hosted, written, and produced by me, Nick Swartzell. Editor, recording engineer, and assistant producer is Josh Elstro. Original music is by Josh Elstro and Leo Mercia. This is a project created by Action Tank USA, a nonprofit partnering with artists to research and promote public policy solutions at the local government level. Action Tank proudly presents this project in partnership with our marketing partner, WVXU, Cincinnati's local NPR affiliate. This project was made possible with the generous support of the Greater Cincinnati Foundation and the W.E. Smith Foundation.